Hello and welcome to Tales from Wisteria Lane, the podcast where we give you a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. We are the boyfriends, I'm Billy Ray. And I'm Joel. And today we're reviewing Season 6, Episode 2, Being Alive. In this episode I will be doing the breakdown and Joel will be doing the trivia. Do you have anything to start us off with? I do. So at the point of recording it is B's birthday. He is 41, so happy birthday. Thank you. Solid yeah. start. They, <laughs> yes, day of recording is the birthday, not day of release. Yes. And I am not 41. Oh, really? No. Oh. <laughs> I just lie because he says he likes an older man. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway. So, actual trivia that people care about. This <laughs> the episode. <laughs> the episode aired on the 4th of October 2009 and was written by Matt Berry and directed by David Grossman. For a brief moment, the character of Eddie Orlovsky, as portrayed by Josh Zuckerman, can be seen in the crowd as everyone stares at Julie's unconscious body, meaning this episode marks Zuckerman's first appearance in the series, although he isn't actually credited until the following episode. Well, that's interesting. But if you haven't seen past this episode, that character will become a season regular. regular. Yeah, as of next episode but he has an appearance so episode title comes from the song of the same name from the musical company and in this week's events obviously i span 28th of september to the 4th of october and on top of a surprisingly alarming amount of natural disasters that seem to occur this week earthquakes everywhere apparently whilst on that topic our thoughts and prayers go out to syria and turkey i was gonna say that's quite a reflection of recent events in in the week of recording yes so spain's pablo pineda wins best actor award at the san sebastian international film festival and he is the first actor with down syndrome to win an international film award very good Uh, north korea revises its constitution removing all references to communism while mentioning human rights for the first time, as well as stating that Kim Jong-il as its supreme leader. Mm -hmm. And paleontologists announced the discovery of an odd... odd... (laughs) I've practiced pronouncing this several times. Odipithecus ramidus fossil skeleton, deeming it the oldest fossil skeleton of a human ancestor. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what that is. It's a... It's a human skeleton. Mm. And the songs are the same as last week. Oh, really? Yeah. Which were... I Got a Feeling I'll Break Your Heart. Okay, okay. Um, And that's all the trivia. All right, then. Let's get into it. So, previously, Catherine ruined Susan and Mike's second wedding. Lynette said she doesn't love her unborn babies. Gabby officially became Anna's guardian. Bree started sleeping with Carl officially. Like, she actually did it this time. The Bolans moved to town as the neighbours of the season, and Julie got strangled by someone unknown. Yes. But we're assuming at the moment that it's Danny Bolan. Yeah, that's the way it seems to be pointing right now. Mm. So our story begins with Karen McCluskey. Karen has begun a relationship with a man called Roy, and Roy (laughs) doesn't like going for walks. They're walking, and Karen starts telling him how she feels. She then says that she loves him without response until she asks, and he says, you know how I feel. I mean, it's really sweet that Karen's found someone this late, but no offence, Roy seems to be a bit of a dense moron. Mm. And it's lucky he came across Julie's body, otherwise there was about to be another one next to hers. Oh, you know how I feel? Yeah. A woman needs to hear it, Roy. <laughs> yep. a terrible Karen impression. That was a brilliant Karen impression. <laughs> That's exactly what she sounds like. I actually thought I was her for a second. <laughs> they come across Julie's unconscious body, 
and Karen screams because of the body or because Roy won't say that he loves her back. We're not sure which one. I think it's because she was very close to getting Roy to say those words and then he came across Julie's body and topic obviously changed and so she screamed in frustration at the fact that she was so close to getting it. Yes, even Mary Alice is like, I don't know why she screamed. But it could have been, it could have gone either way. It, it could have been either way. Also, Mary Alice still called her Mrs. McCluskey in this scene. And surely we're at first name basis with Mrs. McCluskey by season six. Nice bit of respect. I like it. She's dead. Who does she need to respect? <laughs> <laughs> so Karen seems pretty upset by the whole thing. And then she notices Danny Bolan on the front step and seems suspicious of him. So later she talks to Roy about how the police are going to door to door and wonders if she should tell them about how she saw Julie and Danny fighting in the previous episode. Roy then says that if she were hit by a bus, he would really miss her. <laughs> Naturally, this isn't met very well by Karen, so instead he says, I love you. It's such a man way of saying I love you. Right? If you got hit by a bus, I'd really miss you. I know, it's almost like just saying, I really care about your general welfare. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you for that. But Karen, like in this scene, Karen is spends time talking to Roy, weighing up whether she is wrong about what she feels that she saw. Because Danny is only a teenager and kids argue. Doesn't necessarily mean that he is a potential killer. But Karen isn't wrong, though. She's sitting there saying, what if I'm wrong, blah, blah, blah. But you're not wrong. You saw what you saw. You saw them argue. Yes, you're, you're, not, you're not saying he killed her. No, you're, that's a fact. The fact that you saw them argue is a fact. You saw it. You don't know what about, but you saw what you saw. It could be nothing or it could be important evidence. Exactly. They need all the pieces of the story and this could lead to another crucial detail later on down the line. Exactly. You don't need to say, I think he killed her. You just say, these people are new to town. I saw them argue. Now you know. Yeah. So let's move on to Susan, and I've only written a tiny, teeny bit for Susan because she's in everyone else's biggest storylines for me. Mm. So Susan does the whole bridesmaids thing, and she puts on makeup and does her hair, so it looks like she just woke up stunning. Don't you bridesmaids did the whole Desperate Housewives thing? Yeah, but I saw bridesmaids first. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody's like this in the morning, though. I need. We literally had this conversation with your mum yesterday, I think, or the day before. I literally need at least two hours to actually wake up and feel like making shitty small talk. Let alone straddling B. Like, let alone straddling you. (laughs) I couldn't think of anything worse in the morning. I have to say, if someone woke me up the way that she wakes him up, I don't know how long we could stay together. No. Because I'd be like, this cannot be a regular thing. No, get get off me, Susan, please. It's first thing in the morning. Okay. But she held his nose so that he had to, like, choke himself awake. Mm. That's horrible. So they're about to do the sweaty tangle, but MJ comes in to stop them, and then they hear Karen's scream. Yeah. And that is where I've ended Susan's story for, for now. Okay. So the Scarvos are having breakfast when Parker and the twins question the Nets' frequent morning sickness, but she claims it's food poisoning from seafood, which is a pretty decent excuse. No, I'm sorry, clams. That was her first go-to. She was like, I had clams. Are clams known to give you... Oh, it doesn't matter. It's, well, whether, <laughs> whether it's, you know, clams are known to give you food poisoning or not, her kids need to go back to school if they believe that crap. So they're lying to the kids about the pregnancy, but just to note, Tom wants to tell them the truth. Yeah, actually, he said, we agreed to tell them after the first trimester. And then he goes on to say, that's next week. Yeah, so we agreed to tell them after the first trimester, Tom. After. If the first trimester is next week, then I still don't have to tell them for another week. That's what we agreed. So why are you pushing me to tell them right now? Right, it's saved in my phone calendar. It's not now. Move on. And then, saved by the bell, they hear Karen scream. Yeah. This is going to be a regular thing that I say. Yeah. In this episode. So, Susan is being spoken to by a police officer who asks if Julie was dating anyone, and Susan says no. 
Lynette and Gabby come to the hospital to offer friendly support, and the doctor then says that Julie's going to have an x-ray, and Lynette tells them not to, because Julie is pregnant, which is a surprise to Gag. everyone. Yep. So is the person that strangled her the father of the baby? Oh, I don't know. So, so many questions. Like, and also, this scene, I know Lynette's pregnant, but is she, is she stupid? Why? Because she literally, we saw her leave the lane with Gabby and Bob or Lee, I think it was Bob, that literally said to Lynette, tell Susan we'll take good care of MJ. And then the first thing she said to Susan when she got to the hospital is, do you need someone to take care of MJ? Girl, really? Like, literally, don't waste her time. (laughs) Don't waste Susan's time. She's too busy. A writing inconsistency. I love it. Yeah. Good spot. So literally, you were there when Bob said, tell her we'll take care of MJ. What do you, do you not trust the gays? (laughs) In the previous Karen scene that you spoke about, Karen also said she pissed off the gays because she said something. Why is everyone's disrespect to the gays, Mark Cherry and Matt Berry? I think it's because of Lee. Well, yeah. Lee's a dodgy fellow. He is one. So later, Susan is talking to Lynette about Julie's pregnancy, and Lynette says that Julie spoke to her about it, and she didn't want her to tell Susan. Susan asks about the father, and apparently Julie said it was complicated. Mm. Susan feels betrayed by the whole thing, stating that Lynette is her friend and not Julie's. Yeah, like, I know Susan is mad and upset at the situation, but you can't blame Lynette for the fact that Julie is in this situation. Like, she didn't blame... Susan, when Preston was accused of killing 27 people and starting a fire. Yeah, that's very true. And also, if someone's child comes to you and says, I'm pregnant, don't tell mum, as their friend, I guess you can hope that they said, you need to talk to your mum about this, but you can't expect them to come to you and tell you that. No, of course not. Like, Lynette, I would have imagined, would have said, I, I don't I don't suggest you keep this from your mum. I very much imagine Lynette would have said that. But Julie has come to Lynette for whatever reason and trusted Lynette with this information, so why would you go against that yeah probably because Lynette's been pregnant a thousand times Mm. but yeah Susan feels hurt which is a very natural response to this I think (laughs) yeah and I do I do get Susan's emotions in this scene but she is over being over dramatic I think she's like oh so she told you it was complicated which means that you didn't tell me which means that you're the reason she's currently like this (laughs) Susan over dramatic I know I know Let's not forget that Susan and Julie have a very strong connection, so this probably does feel like a bit of a betrayal to her as well. Oh, a massive betrayal, I'm sure, because they've always been very close. But kids that are close to parents when they're young do tend to push away when they're older. Mm. Susan later tells Lynette that she isn't mad at Lynette, but wonders why Julie didn't tell her about the pregnancy. And Lynette says that she told her because she admitted to Julie that she is pregnant, so she has now confessed her pregnancy. She's slowly telling people. Susan asks why she isn't excited about it, and Lynette pretty much lays it all out there, all her fears and anxieties about the pregnancy. She wonders if she should give them up, and Susan says that she should do whatever she needs to do, and they have a really nice moment. Although Susan does specifically say that children are a gift, sort of swaying, so she's, she's, she's telling her her opinion about it. Yeah, I do think that Lynette chose the wrong time to talk to Susan and take Susan's advice on whether she should keep the children or not. It's the wrong time. Susan is in an emotional state, kind of precariously possibly about to lose her own child. Naturally, she's going to have an an unconditional bias towards keeping a child or not keeping a child. Yeah, I almost feel like, yeah, like you said, it's not the best timing to talk to Susan about it. I also do really like that she gave her opinion... She was like, this is my opinion, I will be honest, but you have to make your own decision, and I respect that. Yeah, she was like, I'm not trying to convince you, though, or whatever she said. It's like, yeah, it's like, you came to me, and this is how I feel. Yeah. Which is fair. But this does make Lynette realise that, at least I think this makes her realise that she does want to keep the children, the babies. Mm. So let's move on to Catherine. Okay. I've put Catherine kind of in the middle of all the notes, because it's such a random little story. Yeah. 
and it makes me really uncomfortable. I love it. Catherine goes over to Bree's house and finds a very hungover Orson there to welcome her. Yeah. <laughs> so she comes over to tell Bree that she's having the day off, and Orson assumes that it's because she's upset about Mike and Susan, but apparently she isn't because she knows it won't last, and he'll be back with her in no time, and then they hear Karen's scream. Yeah, this is character assassination in progress, guys. Yep, this is... Oh, this is getting strange. And I just, I couldn't help but feel sorry for Orson. Yeah. Having to handle this. I was like, oh, poor Orson. And he's hungover. Catherine going off the deep end. You're hungover. Like, I need at least a couple miles sleep, some water before we even get into this right now. No way. Yeah. So Catherine goes to Susan and Mike's to drop some food off for them because of Julie and that. You know, this is what people do. Here's some baked goods, feel better. Yeah. She gets uncomfortably close to Mike and gives him a really long hug and she tries to kiss him. Susan, meanwhile, is at the hospital still. Mm. Mike rejects the advance, but Catherine leaves with a smile on her face saying that she's there for him anytime. She does the whole Rachel thing where she's like, Ross, it's always on the table for us. Yeah, she's like, with you, it's never off the table. Mmm... Yeah. Ooh. Very uncomfortable how close she was getting in, getting to Mike. And like the leaning for the kiss <laughs> and everything. Oh no, girl. Stop. Losing your mind now. You're, you're, you're kind of losing it. Stop. Get some help. Yeah. Please. So later, Orson goes over to get Catherine to sign a card for Julie. And Catherine tells Orson about her kiss with Mike. But not it's not quite how we saw it. Orson questions this, considering that they have a child and all. Because she's basically saying... I kiss Mike and Mike kiss back kind of thing. But Catherine seems to really think that Mike is having second thoughts about Susan and... Yeah, clearly might be the first day, but he's clearly having second thoughts. Mm. She was really trying to be subtle with Orson though at first. Yeah, and then she's just like, you won't believe it, Mike wants me back. She's like, you have no ear for innuendo at all. (laughs) He's obsessed with me. Yeah. Like, don't go for the couple right now. Like, do it honourably. Because... Catherine's not going to come out well looking like like with whatever she's doing. She's not going to come out looking good. But you can come out looking a little bit better if you at least try to go for the couple while they're strong. You don't go for the weakest one. You don't go for the kid that just broke his leg in the playground. The kid in the wheelchair, like Malcolm in the middle all that time. Yeah. You don't do that. No, no. Off limits. Yeah. Leave Stevie alone. So yeah, this is messy. Uh, <laughs> this is such a messy character decision. So any fans of Catherine are probably not having a great time. No, you're about to be royally disappointed. But now that we've got that fun little interlude, let's move on to Brie. So Brie has just finished having sex with Carl, and apparently they think that they're both pretty amazing at this. Mm. Brie even admits that this is the first time she's ever actually had just casual sex. Yeah. Carl then gets a call from Mike to say that something has happened to Julie, and Brie does not hear Karen scream. Well, obviously not, (laughs) because they're a motel. Back at the hospital, Susan is trying to stop Carl from acting angry about the whole thing, wanting only good vibes and good juju in Julie's room, and then Brie walks in and shows moral support, and Susan leaves the room, leaving Brie and Carl alone. They both agree that nothing can happen between them while this whole situation is happening, but they do kiss anyway. (laughs) Mm. And then they stop when they see that Julie is awake and looking at them. And then she's like, Dad? That must have been... A very confusing shock to the system for Julie. Right? She wake, Of course she wakes up now. She's about, about to blow their affair wide open. Oh, I know. The drama. So they do tell the doctor about it. Julie is unconscious again. 
and Brie asks if she's going to remember what she saw while she was awake for that 15 seconds, and the Doctor doesn't see why not. No. She then goes to Susan to talk about the whole Susan and Catherine thing, trying to gauge Susan's attitude towards women game with her exes, because apparently it's quite a common thing for Susan. Mm. And we have a clip. Well, uh, perhaps she should have seen that you still had feelings for Mike. It would have been different if she'd slept with, oh, let's say, for instance, Carl. Carl? <sighs> oh, yeah, like that would ever happen. No, Catherine's a lady. She's not one of those dumb skanks that would fall for Carl's come-ons. So you agree it would be different? Worse. Worse? Why worse? Because Carl hurt me. He cheated and lied. I mean, any friend who would know all that and sleep with him anyway... I would never talk to her again. Well, ouch. <laughs> yeah, that was like an unintentional read from Susan as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, Catherine's not one of those dumb skanks that would fall for one of Carl's commands. Right. Well, now you know. You've gauged the situation. Now you know. Yeah. <laughs> now you know how she's going to respond if she finds out. I think Susan's a bit off base here, to be honest. Why would it be worse that Catherine got with Carl? Like, yes, Carl did all of this stuff that really hurt you way back when, but Mike's, like, the love of your life. So surely it would hurt more for someone that you care about and you are friends with to get with someone that you so clearly loved and had a really solid, stable relationship with. I see that too. Susan's relationship with Carl wasn't solid, it wasn't stable, it was a mess. It was messy, it was dramatic, it was horrible, and it ended horribly. Susan and Carl's relationship just ended kind of tragically in the first instance it wasn't because either of them were bad it's because they had a bad thing happen to them and they were both struggling with it in their own different ways that just clearly didn't mesh i can see why susan feels this way because the way that her and mike ended and have still been friends afterwards and then susan gets with someone else i can see why why Catherine might have thought it might be okay because mm. maybe because it had been a bit of time yeah it'd oh been yeah years so I can see why Catherine would think that wound must be healed or almost healed by now. Whereas if someone gets with Carl and has him around, it's like a constant reminder of that, isn't it? Yeah, but that happened so long ago. But also, Mike didn't hurt Susan. Carl hurt Susan. So I'd be like, why would you get with someone that hurt me like that? So I get that. No, I mean, if someone came along, if I found, if I knew someone that had got with the ex that cheated on me, I'd just be like, all right, you do you. You know what he did. <laughs> but it'd be very difficult to look at them the same way, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, but it happened so long ago that I don't even see that person anymore. I don't even see the person that got cheated on. Like, when I look at me, I don't see that same person that got cheated on. Just like I don't see the same person that cheated on me. I was like, Jesus Christ, we were so young. The problem with Carl as well is that they were both adults when this happened. And Carl's not that different. He's still a bit scummy. Oh, yeah, he's still scummy. So I, I do kind of see it, but I think... I see it as more of a judgment of that person. Like, why on earth would you get with this person? Probably because he's really good in bed. Clearly. He looks like he's really good in bed. Well, from what we saw earlier, they're both... Brie and Carl are just really good at it together. Yeah. (laughs) So later, Brie and Carl are having a moment alone in Julie's room, and Carl tells Brie that he doesn't want to be alone and that he needs her, saying he's booked a room at the motel. However, Brie sees Susan in the hospital hallway and seems conflicted about it. But she does take the motel key. Yeah. So it's going to continue. Although I think we've gotten a new level of vulnerability between the two of them. Yeah, this doesn't seem like an affair anymore. Like, Carl needs Brie, he said. He said, I need you. So that seems to be that Carl is dependent on Brie already. So is this turning into love? I don't know. Um, We've obviously had this inciting incident, which has caused 
them to realize feelings yeah oh maybe this is actually maybe there is actually some feeling here who knew i don't think they even knew until this happened no and now we will move on to gabby so gabby and carlos are having breakfast and over here anna getting turned down by danny bolan on the phone so embarrassing that's rough that is real rough you were shut down by danny bolan so gabby offers up advice you are the one who is too busy for anything. Ignore them and points out that she played Carlos this exact same way. And we have a clip. Trust me, it works. How do you think I played this one? You did not play me. Like a fiddle. You know how many runway shows he sat through before I would even look at him? Six. It wasn't that many. And when he finally asked me out, I said, okay. But then at the last minute, I backed out saying I didn't feel well. You weren't really sick? Rado. I had a pedicure and then went to Sardi's for drinks. After that, he was my slave. I rented a yacht that day. Really? It's hilarious. A week later, he gave me this. I lost that deposit. Eat your waffles, I'm teaching! This is the kind of parent I want to be. Like, passing on my boy wisdom to my daughter. That's fair. I mean, Carlos moaning about losing the deposit. You were, what, the richest man on the whole lane at this point? They weren't even on the lane at that point. They were probably the richest people wherever they were at that point. Yeah. <laughs> Calm down, Carlos. Probably New York, I imagine, if Gabby's a runway model. Mm. <laughs> like, what the... Also, in this scene, there are so many questions. What the fuck is up with Gabby's giant fork? I don't remember a giant fork. There was a giant-ass fork, and I know it's probably like a serving fork. What were they eating? I don't know. Carlos was eating waffles, but... Like, that fork was huge, and it felt like a weird SNL skit because of that fork. (laughs) And then the fork suddenly changes to a spoon. Who's the playwright that you study in drama class, and he's the one where everything's really big and dramatic, so if you have a fork, it's, like, three times the size of your face. Is it Arto, or is it the other one? Stanislavski? Is it Stanislavski, or is it Arto? I've got no idea, I don't remember. It's giving me that kind of energy. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, these are not words to live by, guys. Don't listen to Gabby here, please. absolutely words to live by. Play hard to get, and then all of a sudden you're the cool, mysterious, difficult one. Boys always want what they can't have. I think it depends on the relationship you want. If you want Gabby's relationship with Carlos, then go for it. But that is not something that I would strive for, quite frankly. That's absolutely a relationship I would strive for. They are working. They work really well together. They have banter. They're fun. And they're rich and gorgeous. That's absolutely the relationship I want. No! Carlos is trash. Gabby thinks that she can manipulate him to do anything. But he's the bossy controlling one. He controls everything. Yeah. Yeah. So she tells this story and then they hear Karen scream. Yeah. And I will only be saying that one more time in this episode. So there's a great moment where the husbands of Wisteria Lane, Tom, Carlos, Orson, Bob and Lee, although only briefly for Bob and Lee, are on the street having their own little gossip session about the Bolans, wondering why they aren't on the street wondering about what's happened to Julie. Carlos says that he saw Danny leave the movies with Julie and they think about starting their own investigation. Yeah, it really doesn't take everyone long to turn on the Bolans. Mm. Like, firstly, for not being outside with everyone, and then because Danny was dating Julie. I guess it's like a natural mob mentality kind of thing, isn't it? Like, oh, they're new on town, and they got seen arguing. It must be them. Mm. Also, Husbands of Wisteria Lane. It's like a little spin-off. Yeah, I know. I think I remember that the first time this happened. I was like, oh, it's all the men getting together and doing things. What's happening? I know. It feels great. So, the police come over to Gabby's later to question where Anna was last night. Gabby says they have a curfew and Anna was inside, but she admits that she snuck out to see Danny... Worse, she admits that her and Danny bought beer and were drinking, and Gabby's pissed. Yeah, and Gabby ends up being that girl, like the girl that everyone makes fun of. Like, my tax dollars pay for that. Oh yeah, she's like, I pay for this, I should be able to taste her. Right? 
Like, you know the reason kids are like this? Because you guys don't let us hit them anymore. Yeah, this Gabby as being a mother figure to a teenager is bringing out such a new side. <laughs> yeah, like, just an FYI for anybody out there that agrees with Gabby, if your child is not following the rules, it has nothing to do with the fact that you aren't allowed to beat them. Yeah, but also Anna. Poor form. Admitting to drinking? Poor form. Well, the police are there. I respected Anna for this. Yeah, but you didn't need to admit to the drinking part. You've already admitted to breaking out. You're just making your punishment worse. What yeah, no, I, I respected Anna for this, knowing full well that she would get in trouble with Gabby. But because the police are there, she's straight up being honest. Although that respect doesn't last too long, I'm not going to lie. Fair. <laughs> Following this, Gabby has someone over to remove the trellis that Anna claims to have climbed down. But the man seems to think it isn't likely that this happened due to its condition. The man, it's Reggie. Reggie's back. We love Reggie. And pr- he's the one that punished He's the one the that girls, yelled, right? finish that broccoli now. Yeah. So he goes back to grab some tools and Gabby decides to climb the trellis herself to inspect, I guess. And she falls when the wood breaks. So we can assume that Anna was lying. Yeah, it really didn't take long for it to come out as a lie. I do have to question Gabby's intentions here. Like, I'll, I will see if his professional opinion is correct and I will climb that trellis. But yeah, she's like physical. She's got the physical evidence now. She's tried to climb the trellis. It's broken. He was correct. Yeah, but that's dangerous. Can you just take him for his word and be like, um, were you out last night? I don't mm. think so because I don't think the trellis can hold much weight. She talks to Anna about the whole thing and Anna says that she is lying to give Danny an alibi so that he owes her. Yeah. Like, doing what a guy asks is, well, it, it will get you laid, but there'll be no respect there. Yeah, where's the respect? Granted, if I'm looking just to hook up, I don't need respect. But if I genuinely like the guy, then respect needs to be there. Oh yeah, 100%. So, Gabby calls the police to tell them the whole truth about it, and later, Gabby goes over to tell Angie that Anna and Danny were both lying. Angie is getting very defensive, seemingly out of the blue about the whole thing, wondering what Gabby is implying. And then Gabby just says, Anna's telling the police all about it right now, and does a walk-off. Quite frankly, I don't think Gabby cares what's happening in the Bolands' lives. She's like, look, I don't know why you're being defensive, I'm just going to go. Well, yeah, that and Gabby is trying to raise a teenager here that is new to the household, that has influence over her younger children, and is already a little bit difficult to work with. So for an outsider to just come onto the lane and be able to so easily manipulate Danny and for Angie and Nick to allow that to happen is, yeah, terrible. Poor show, Angie and Nick. I mean, in her mind, she's just going over and doing the decent neighbourly thing and saying, they both lied and Anna's going to tell the truth. I'm just like giving you a heads up. Yeah. And then Angie's like, what are you implying? What? It's because Angie Angie and Nick set it up. Yeah, I know. I know. But yeah. Gabby ain't got time for it. She's no. Like, Look, I, don't, I don't care what's going on here. I'm just letting you know the truth. And yeah. I'm walking off. And then we move on to the Bolands. Neighbours of the season. So, Danny is turning down Anna on the phone. <laughs> and Nick asks where Danny was last night. Apparently, he wasn't home and they were worried. Angie tries to talk to him more casually about it, given the vibe that they have this very close mother-son kind of relationship. Yeah. Angie's a lioness. She mm. protects her cubs. They just seem very close. It's nice. Yeah. And he admits to going out drinking, not strangling women on the street, apparently. Yeah. And then they hear Karen's scream. And that's the final time I have to say that. Yeah. Danny starts this episode with, like, being a real wise ass to Nick. Yeah, I don't think that him and Nick have quite the same relationship that he has with Angie. No, like, I'd, but if I was Nick, I'd have backhand one quick, swift backhand. I thought you just said about not hitting kids. Yeah, but if a kid smirks at me like that, 
all bets are off. <laughs> Never know with you. No. They just seem to have a very odd relationship. And I'm starting to... I'm, I think I see why Danny is gobby with Nick. Because Nick seems like an absolute douchebag. Nick is a douchebag. Last episode, Julie, you're way out of his league. Thanks for not just turning him down. Yeah. Ugh. So, after everyone on the street finds out about Julie, the Bolans notice the husbands of Wisteria Lane staring at them, and they question Danny again about where he was last night. But he insists that he was drunk, and it's all a bit fuzzy, which is not a very good defence. The poor boy is being called out by Nick to tell him what he was fighting with Julie about, right in front of his mum. So what does this, what does Danny do? Like, does he lie to protect his mum or hurt his mum and be honest because they were obviously fighting about Nick? Mm. Let's face it, we all, we all know that they were fighting, it's obvious they were fighting about Nick. Well, like, you, you think she probably brought up what Nick said? I, I think she's told Danny that there's something going on with Nick or Nick was flirting with her or she got a weird vibe off of Nick or something like that. And I think that Danny didn't take it so well and that's why he was shouting at Julie. And then that's what Karen saw. So if Nick is to come along and say, what were you fighting with Julie about? What does Danny do? That's if that was the reason why he was arguing with Julie. That might not be the case. True. This is theoretical. Yeah. Because we don't know what they argued about yet. No, not yet. So Angie decides they all need to get out there and get in the crowd and start, you know, acting like regular members of this community because everyone is suspicious yes this is not a great start to moving on to this lane guys no but everyone it's... is already suspicious that you've committed a crime no but it's not their fault nope they've just well it might not be their fault we don't know but they've just rocked up on a new lane and now all of a sudden they're potential criminals later angie and nick are off to susan's with baked goods and the husbands stop nick in the street to question him and danny about julie's relationship trying to put the pieces together Nick catches onto the suspicion and Angie saves him with a fake phone call and they walk away saying that Danny needs an alibi. Yeah. And I don't blame Angie and Nick for doing this. God, they, they, are, might, they might have tricks up their sleeves. They're just protecting their son. But if this alibi comes out, it's fake. It's only going to make them look worse. Which, as we know, it does. Yeah. But they have so many tricks up their sleeves for any situation. Like, she sees the men are getting suspicious of Nick. And so she walks over, like, phone call from your mom. Yeah, I know. And then as they walk away, he's pretending to be on the phone. And they're just whispering to each other. And I'm like, you two are devious. Yeah, they are. They've got tricks up their sleeves. Later, Gabby tells Angie that Anna is taking back the alibi for Danny, and Angie tells Danny that she messed up and that Danny needs to stay quiet when the police come over. With some very nice metaphors. Yeah, you know, how does a fish get caught? It opens its mouth. Yes. I aspire. But she's, she's li- she is literally telling Danny the tea, where she's like, don't wave your Miranda rights and demand a lawyer and we will be down there. Oh yeah. Because the police are clearly about to come for you now. Because not only are they suspicious of you anyway, but they have now just found out that you've lied. Yeah, yeah. It's, so. not, it's not great. It's not great. So, the episode ends with Lynette telling the kids that she is pregnant. Gabby shouting at Anna. Bree planning a meeting with Carl. And all of them are interrupted by the police showing up to arrest Danny on suspicions of strangling Julie. The last shot is of Karen walking away after seeing this, and Mary Alice saying that she wonders if it's all about to get worse. Oh, enough with that, Karen. Why? Enough with the staring. I do like that they're giving Karen something to do. They gave her something to do in the last season as well. I know, and I like that. I like that she's getting some stories yeah. that don't just revolve around being the batty old lady across the road. Yeah. It's very good. But, like, Angie hasn't done anything. Except set up a, a weak fake alibi. That was a weak one. I know, you can't but... rely on a teenage girl. No offence to any teenage girls out there. But yeah, stop the staring, Karen. 
So we're now going to move on to the next segment of the show where Joel is going to give us the gayest and the straightest moment of the episode. Mm. So what do you have for the gayest moment? My award for gayest moment. It goes to Catherine. Because once once a gay guy convinces himself that there's interest from someone else, there's interest there. It doesn't matter. Oh yeah, he totally still likes me. He just can't be with me right now because of this complicated issue, which is he's totally married. Not made up. He's married with kids, so um, it's it's a little bit complicated. But we're we're working through it. We're working through it. <laughs> I don't think he's ever gonna leave her. <laughs> no one thinks he's ever gonna leave her. What was that from? When Harry met Sally. That was it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then, what do you have for the straightest moment? My award for straightest moment. <laughs> It goes to Roy for the way he's telling Karen he loves her. Oh, yeah. So if, bravo, Roy. Mm. First appearance. Well, not first appearance, really. You, you appeared very briefly in the first episode. This is like your first proper appearance and you've already won an award. Yeah. They gave him something to do. Yeah. To act like a clueless moron. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> very well done. Uh, and now we move on to B's awards for best and worst parents. So who do you have for the best parent? My award for... Best parent of the episode. Goes to Gabby for getting Anna to own up to her lies with the police. Gabby is Bravo, on a Gabby. roll this season for me. She is. She's giving some... I mean, it's only episode two, so... <laughs> yeah. But she is giving some good parenting. Honestly, though, all, all the rest of you, step up. Yeah. Come on. we got places to be, people to see, awards to give. Right. You've got one person just across the street that doesn't even want our kids, and you've got Gabby here taking on an extra. Right. <laughs> Uh, so who do you have for the worst parent? My award for... Worst parent of the episode. I gave this to Angie for getting Danny to come up with some crappy alibi which didn't even pan out. Yeah. If you're going to give your kid an alibi, at least give them one that's going to stick. Right, at least give them a solid alibi. You've just screwed your child over here. Right, you thought, oh, we'll just rely on that Anna chick. Yeah, good one. Yeah, good. Good idea. Very oh, yeah, good. Anna's feelings uh, will, will far outweigh anything else. She, she won't let us down. Anna seems like a plausible person to rely on. Mm. I think we can rely on Anna. Come on, Angie. Get it together. Step up your puss. Yes. So, bravo, bravo. Fucking bravos to everyone that got an award. And that was the end of the episode. So if anyone has any questions, queries, comments and theories, where can they find us? You can find us on Instagram at Boyfriends Review and you can find us on Twitter at BFS Review. We also have email, which is boyfriendsreview at outlook.com and all of our artwork is done by Louis, who you can find on Instagram at docredmonkdesign and there's also a link to his Etsy page where he does do commissions. Yes. And if you feel so inclined, feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts about if you like the show etc whatever your feelings are yeah fyi whilst we have you here there will not be an episode next week and we will be back to normal the following so we will be back in your ear holes next time with season six episode three never judge a lady by her lover oh that's a nice title the titles for this season from what i've seen are pretty accurate and good so far yeah so see you then bye guys bye (laughs) 